We just got done with the series of Hebrews last week. It was six months in the book of Hebrews. How many, again, I'm going to ask again, how many enjoyed it? All right. How many were blessed by it? How many found it hard and challenging? Okay. How many of you uh, were daring enough to say, Lord, challenge me with this? We got one, right? How many of you have said the prayer, uh, Lord, have your way with me no matter what, whenever? Who's ever said something like that? Okay, were you challenged with the book of Hebrews? Yeah, because you gave them permission. So you should have raised your hands when I said the challenge part, right? So uh, I've done that, and I'm telling you, it wrecked me. It absolutely wrecked me in a good way, in a very good way. Um, and what we, what we don't want to do is go through a beautiful series like that and then go to the next one and forget we just did that one. Okay? We don't want to do that. Um, so what we learn from Hebrews is going to flow into the rest of what we do because Jesus being enough never changes. It's not a series. It's a reality in our lives. And that's what we see in Hebrews, that Jesus is absolutely enough. There's nothing you can add to him that'll make him greater. And he's got to be everything to us. Because we will be persecuted. We will feel challenges in our lives that will want to take us out of position with Jesus. Whether you're the recipients of Hebrews or you're us today, that doesn't change. So Jesus was enough then, and he's enough what? Now. That doesn't change. So we have to talk about that all the time because it's, it's fundamental in scripture. The, the biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus is enough and he wants to have a relationship with us. It doesn't, that's the whole purpose. Not that tasks will get done. Those things are important, but not without the relationship with Jesus. They're meaningless without Jesus. They're absolutely meaningless. So we will never stop talking about Jesus is enough. And he is the most important. Not the most important thing. He's just most important over all things. Everything. So today, we're going to talk about, uh, or start a series we call uh, Living God's Love Out Loud. That's the name of the ARC gathering that we've, we will be hosting um, in August. And we thought it would be appropriate to explore that before we get to that gathering, to that conference so that we as a family can have an understanding of what that means to us. When we hear living God's love out loud, what do you think of? Go ahead, you can participate. Witnessing, okay. Giving to the poor, what else? Praising him. I already love the variety, go ahead. Keep going. What? Action. Yeah. What else? Example. Fellowship, right? All of these things, and many, many, many more. Many more. And we're going to go through this. We, I, I think we got a wonderful series for the rest of the summer plan where we're going to hit big topics of how we live uh, God's love out loud. One of them is marriages. Another, so how do we, how do we express the love of Christ in marriage? Another one will be family. How do we do that in family? Those who believe in Jesus and those who don't, right? Loving family, whether they believe in Jesus or not, is really hard sometimes, is it not? Yeah. How do we, how do we, 
live God's love out now aloud in our workplace and in, the, in our neighborhood. We're going to go through these things and really examine how there's always going to be a common denominator. Jesus will always be present in those things. And so we're going to talk about how we stay in his presence in the midst of the different contexts. But today we want to talk about what's the root of all of that. Now, remember, it's going to connect with Hebrews. So you know that a lot of what I'm going to say is Jesus is what? Enough. Right? He is enough. But what we have to understand is that the core principle of living God's love out loud is that it's about connection. It's about relationship. And not just connection with people. It's connection with him first and then connection with other people. And then when we witness or evangelize, right? That's the big Christianese word, evangelize. And we all have probably different meanings of that word. When we talk about that in the context of relationship, we're looking at our connection with Jesus, our connection with person. And so if I have a relationship with Matt and I have a relationship with Jesus, what I'm going to do is allow my life to be modeled and used in such a way that it connects his heart to Jesus. Okay? That's what it means to be a witness. That's what it really means to evangelize is to connect hearts out of relationship with you connecting with that heart to the heart of Jesus. Simple concept, right? We make evangelism or witnessing more challenging or confusing. It's always challenging. Relationships are always challenging. So let me change it. We, we complicate it by thinking there's got to be all these strategies and routines. That doesn't mean they're not specific ones, but it does mean at the heart of it, it's about connecting. Is that clear? It's about connecting. Now, Jesus knows this, and he speaks it, because when he's asked in Matthew 22, he's asked what? He says, what is the greatest commandment by the Pharisees? And he says this, hearing that Jesus had silenced Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, one of them, an expert of the law. I mean, they knew all the laws, and there were a lot of them, okay? They were an expert of the law, tested Jesus with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first, and what? greatest commandment and the second greatest is like it love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments why is that why does everything else flow out of these two things because these two more than any other are about what scripture is all about First, it's relationship with Jesus, and second, it's relationship with whom? One another. These are the greatest, which means these have got to be the center and the focus of everything we do. They've got to be at the core. Our first and only task, and I've said this a bazillion times, that's not even a real word, but I'm going to say it even more, is that Jesus is all, all, That matters before anything else can truly matter. You can't love your neighbor as yourself and the love of God if you don't love God. Because 1 John 4 says that God is love and love is what? God. That's a noun. It's who he is. So we have our versions of love. 
But if we don't know Jesus, we don't get a full picture of what love is. Because it's beyond just a verb, it's beyond just emotion, it's beyond just feelings. Okay? It's bigger than that. And it's the only thing that matters before anything else can, because you can't love like God loves if you don't love God or connected with him. Because our definition and our examples of it will be too small. It'll be too small. So how do we live God's love out loud to the world if we don't love God? And we're not walking in the love of God. We're not going to know how to do that, are we? It'll be very challenging for us to do that. The key of this, I, um, before I actually get to that, how many of you have had an obsession in your life? I use that word intentionally. Let's be honest. Okay. For good or for bad, right? How many of you had someone that was obsessed with you and you couldn't get rid of them? Right? They just won't leave you alone. They're obsessed. I mean, obsessed. When I was in, uh, going into college, I went to this Christian camp. And it was the only place I could get a date. Because where I was <laughs> growing up, there weren't a lot of Christian people and they weren't very interested in me being a Christian. And I remember this gal, I'll never forget her, um, because she was obsessed. She was obsessive. And she, she met a guy that was nice, that treated her well. I'm bragging about this, I was just kidding. And, and she didn't want to lose that, is what I was told. She tracked me down everywhere. I didn't give her any information. She found out where I went to school. She found out what dorm I was in. She found out what room I was in. I don't even know. And my brother had to run interference. He goes, some psycho girl keeps calling the house looking for you. What do I tell her? I'm like, I'm not available. I'm not available. She was obsessed. And it goes from flattering to, to creepy, right? Experience. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was afraid I was going to catch someone in the trees with binoculars. You know, it was like that thing. But when you think about that word obsession, that's kind of what we think about. Someone that's just relentless to be where you are. Relentless to be where you are. They go after you. Everything about their life centers around that obsession. When I was in high school, I was obsessed with, with wrestling, with uh, Competitive wrestling, not WW, whatever it is now. Um, sorry, those of you that are fans. I lived and I breathed it. Every thought, every conversation was about it. It almost became my identity, which is unhealthy, by the way. But I was obsessed. I did everything I could to learn about it, to get better at it, to, to know what my opponents were doing, and, and, and all the different scenarios. So my question is this. Are we that obsessed with Jesus? Because let me tell you, he is that obsessed with you. The key to living God's love out loud is, I don't know what that is, what I do. Obsession. Now that might be weird, but it is. What kind of God would create us, die for us, 
go after us, forgive us with all the terrible things that we've done, be present with us, so much so that he feels what we feel even though he knows the future. If he were not obsessed with you. He's a God that never gives up on you. He's a God that never stops loving you even when we don't want anything to do with him. And I, I learn more about that every day as a parent. When I go, Grace, give me a kiss. No, don't kiss me. Rejection's terrible. Especially as a parent, right? You, you want that closest. You want that connection. But my love for her never stops. She can do the worst things in the world, but she's my daughter. I'm going to love her no matter what. Am I in agreement with the behavior? No. But I am always, always going to love her unconditionally. That's the beauty of it. So God is completely obsessed with us. Get that in your brain right now. Let that sink in. He is obsessed with you. Are we obsessed with him? See, we have a wonderful God. And when we talk about loving out loud, Jesus gives us the perfect picture of it. Because he shows how obsessed we are, he is with us. When we look in John 8, verses 1 through 11, what we see is the, this woman who's caught in adultery. Do we, we, most, many of us know this story. And the Pharisees try to test Jesus. They try to test him over and over again, and he makes them look stupid. Doesn't he? Those of you that really get it, he does. He makes them look so foolish every time. And this was no, no uh, exception. So imagine, yeah, I really want you to imagine with me, if you close your eyes or whatever you do to really start getting a picture, remember, this is a culture that is built on the law. They take it very, 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 very seriously. Very seriously. And so the Pharisees bring this woman who's been, this Jewish woman who's been caught in adultery. We know she's Jewish because she was held to the standards of the Jewish faith and was brought before Jesus, and they challenged him saying, what are you going to do with this woman? She was caught in adultery, and by law, she needs to be stoned, killed. Now imagine you're this woman. A series of events in your life brought you to a place of despair or hopelessness, or need for something outside her union with her husband, and she makes a mistake, whether she knows it at the time or not. And now she's brought to suffer the consequences, and she knows very well what's going to happen to her. Not only is she going to die, but she's being used as a test. So now she's humiliated. How many of you felt humiliated? How many of you have felt shame for the things that you've done outside of what you know is right? How many of you have been just completely, utterly, maybe I just asked this, embarrassed? Say that again. It's horrible, right? Anyone have that rubbed in your face? After the fact? Yeah. Imagine all of that in front of all these people and now you got the hype of this prophet, of this teacher. You're hearing about him all through the land, a guy that is doing amazing things. And maybe when you think about him, maybe when she thinks about him, she starts feeling hope or a sense of peace. And now it all goes away because she's brought before him and knows that she's going to be 
killed. And maybe in that moment, all her hope goes away. Surely if this guy is a teacher and a prophet, he's going to be obedient to the law and have me killed too. But instead, Jesus is writing in the sand. And we don't, we don't know. There's theories of what that is. But he's writing in the sand. He bends down, he writes in the sand, and he says that f- famous line, those of you that have not sinned, cast the first stone. And one by one, what happens? They leave. He stands with this woman. He stands with her. It's not about behavior right now. It's about the connection. It's about his heart connecting to hers so that any hope or peace that she had thinking about Jesus before this moment is restored and then fulfilled and she is overflowing probably with confusion but relief and peace knowing she's not going to die right now. And then Jesus says, go and sin no more. Who's here to condemn you? He says. She goes, no one. He goes, neither do I condemn you. But when you go, don't do this anymore because this This is what that kind of behavior leads to. It's not about don't do that. It's about a parent looking after his child, saying, I want you to be with me because when you're with me and you're in my love, this won't happen. I'm with you in it. That's a present, loving God. How do we stand with people? We may not agree their behavior, but we stand with them, we sit with them in it, we love them in the midst. I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. God loves you. I'm with you in this. But as we step into his presence, let's move away from this. Let's move away from this because this is not the best God has for us. I want to tell you a story that just, I'm going to try not to blubber through it. But I grew up um, in a, uh, church home and all this. I had really neat people around me. And I was always uh, desiring to be discipled. So every season of my life, I can tell you who discipled me, who is someone I was learning from. And there was one guy named Steve, and he was uh, a, an ex race car driver. And so I kind of pretended like, you know, I liked hearing about Jesus from him, but I just liked because he drove really fast. So when we went out to lunch and stuff, we went, we went in a hurry, and it was great. But Steve um, was uh, a new Christian. He was, or had been a Christian for a couple of years. He was still kind of new, but really passionate, and I loved that about him. I loved it. I had a lot of vigor. But in Southern California, you're surrounded by uh, a very, very challenging culture. And um, he was extremely, Steve was extremely homophobic extremely homophobic. And his wife, who is like always wanting to connect people with the heart of God, always, was ministering at that time to a group of of homosexual people. And one guy came to Christ. And I I think his name was Guy. And so um, Guy came to Christ and He's, he's just allowing the Lord to speak to him. It's not right now, it's not about the behavior. It's about understanding who Jesus is in his life. But Steve wouldn't get near him, but his wife Susie was just loving him. And Guy ended up getting um, AIDS. And there was a scene where he got this pneumonia that is connected with HIV and it put him in the hospital. And so Steve and Susie came to see him and Guy knew how Steve felt about uh, homosexuality and all this. 
And Guy's laying in bed and he's freezing and he's got lesions all over and, and he's only, I think he died a month later. But Steve looked at him and he saw this man shivering and he climbed into bed and embraced him. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but that's a huge deal because he got over his fear and he saw the heart and he didn't go to the behavior because the behavior is what caused the fear, but the heart of Jesus is what led him to the heart of this man and that man knew how hard it was and saw that this was, God, this was, this was God's love out loud. This man went through his, got rid of his fear so he could sit with someone and be with them in the midst of loneliness, isolation, despair, fear, discomfort. And basically what Steve said to this man through his actions is says, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That is living God's love out loud. Behavior does not prevent us from going to the heart. It does not, it cannot, it should not, and as long as I'm here, it will not while we're a church family. Yes, we want people to make good choices, yes, but living God's love out loud is about tunnel vision of the heart. It's about going there. Excuse me. But you can't go there. You can't. If Jesus is not your magnificent obsession. I love that phrase. So what I, ask, I would ask you, is he your magnificent obsession? Is he the thing when you wake up, you're thinking about Jesus? Or your posture. You may not be conscious of going, hey Jesus, what's up? Hey Jesus, what up? But your posture is such that you've given him permission to do whatever he wants to do in you and through you. And your radar is always up to what he might say to you. Is he what you are just like a good meal. You're salivating to be more in his presence. I tell you, when you are, who's been around a person like that? Jesus is everything. Who's been around a person like that? Okay. I am telling you, it changes, it changes the, the atmosphere in a room. Because they don't need to be doing anything, and you see it. They don't need to say a word, and you're going, what is going on with them? And the person next to you going, you're crazy. What are you talking about? They're not doing anything. They're just sitting down reading a book. Well, I don't know what's happening, but the closer I get, my heart gets more hopeful. I feel a greater sense of peace. Because their obsession is Jesus, and Jesus changes the atmosphere. That's why he's the transformational God. That's why when we step in his presence, your life changes. Why wouldn't it when you stand in front of someone that is carrying Jesus, soaking in him all day long? One of those people for me is my grandma. And I was, just, I was just at a family reunion. And I'm telling you, every moment there's an opportunity for prayer. We're a family prayer session. <laughs> I mean, this woman lives and breathes Jesus all day long. And it's infectious. And it's safe. And you want to be around it. People gravitate towards that. People want to be around. Imagine if our idea of mission work was about expanding the great obsession we have with Jesus and not just the task. Because the great obsession we have for Jesus will lead to his obsession, which is you. So if you're obsessed with him, you're going to be obsessed with what he's obsessed with. And that's standing with someone in their sin and saying there's hope to be free of it and to experience a love deeper than anything you'll ever know. 
I'm in. This is gearing me up. Revelation talks about, I don't know, getting to our, back to our first love. Doing what we did at the beginning. What brought you to Jesus? You guys remember that? That breakthrough moment? Some of it may have been more gradual, kind of like a crock pot. Some of it was like a microwave. It was like, bam, it happened. But some you're just, ooh. But usually there's a moment where God strikes you in the heart. And you're just like, even if it's for a week, you're on fire, right? That mountain, you're like, woo. And oftentimes we do stupid things when we're amped up, you know. But, so, but there's that, that energizing, there's that excitement. It doesn't grow dim because Jesus is new every day in a sense, right? His mercies are new every morning. There's a, a newness, a renewal he brings every time we step in his presence. That's the obsession I'm talking about. That excitement. What we crave. Man, have you ever craved a great meal? And you'll go, I mean, ladies, if you've been pregnant, and I just know from watching Shanna at two in the morning, if she wants something, I'm out in my car going to get it. Because she's not going to sleep, she's not going to rest until that craving is satisfied. Is, is that Jesus for you? Because this is where it all starts. When we talk about living God's love out loud and marriage and this and that and all these different scenarios and contexts, if we don't approach that with the desire to allow God to be our magnificent obsession, we are never, never going to be the church he's called us to be because he is the head. He is the heart of it. He is everything about it. If we go off and try to do these church programs and do this and do all this mission work and, you know, yay, I did well today. I served someone the poor. Yeah, I served the poor and all that. Those things are great things, but we can't forget why we go there. We're driven there out of an obsession for Jesus because of his obsession for us. He doesn't want to see any one of us in that kind of despair and pain. So he brings us to be the connection point between them and him. Teaching, preaching, correcting is not the same as connecting. All of those things we're used to seeing is not the same as one heart connecting to another. Can those be done with the motivation to connect? Absolutely. But if, if Jesus is not our first love, then connection is not important to us. And then it's just hollow teachings, hollow corrections, hollow preaching. It's not fueled by the furious love of God. I'm going to tell you right now, people are noticing you. They're watching you. They want to see what you're going to do. In a world where the church has lost its voice, especially in America, people are going to be watching us just to prove they're right. But our motivation isn't to disprove them. Our motivation is to continue to make Jesus our obsession, and that in itself will change the opinion. That in itself 
See, you don't need to change someone's mind. You can't transform a heart. Only he can. So we partner with him because he's our obsession and our first love, and it'll be done. Behaviors will change, but not because they need to change, because they're transformed by the loving power of God. Do we want to be that kind of church family? Yes. So Lord, in Jesus' name, make us, make you our obsession, our first love. There's nothing greater than you. You are enough, you are enough, you are enough. If we think we need to make you look pretty, we don't have a good picture of who you are. So if we need our picture adjusted, Lord, would you work into our hearts right now in the name of Jesus? And it takes time, but we thank you that you are a patient God and your timing is perfect and you will lead us there if we are willing to go there. So I thank you, God, that um, you're obsessed with us. I thank you because it really shows that you are the only true God because what person in their right mind would want to keep loving those who don't want you. You keep going after us. Would you please keep going after us? Please continue so that you can become the first love to those who are lost and isolated and angry and alone. All the behavior we see around us is about something deeper. It's about something greater than just what we see. And and you are the only one that can bring transformation in those places. And we are foolish to think if we don't need that in our own lives. So Lord, keep working on us and pruning what needs to be pruned so that we continue to see you and only you in all that we do. We thank you, Jesus. We pray a blessing over the offering. We pray that as we approach it, uh, we would approach it with the understanding that everything we have is yours. That's part of the obsession. You have all of us. You have everything. I'm not concerned about my house because it's yours. You gave it to me. You'll fix it. You'll bring people to help. You'll bring me uh, peace about it. You'll provide. And you'll provide every single person's need in this place as we trust you. So Lord, use the tithes and offerings for your glory and your kingdom and your purposes, not our own. As we enter this time of worship, may we see what worship is about. It is about connecting to you and giving you all that we are. Yes, we receive, but it's not with the intention to receive. It's the intention to give you what is yours. And we are yours. Thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.